Hello and thanks for streaming this episode from ACF Church. Our hope is that this word would encourage you to walk closer with God and with your local church. We hope you consider partnering in the work God's doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you'd like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so safely on our website at acfak.org or by texting the amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. Good morning, you guys. My name is Stuart. I'm one of the pastors here at ACF. I'm going to do a quick survey that all of you can participate. I hope you will. It's really easy. All you got to do is raise your hand. And we're not one of those kind of churches most of the time, but we can be. But I want to ask you to raise your hand. How many of you have ever had a job? Most of us. How many of you currently have a job? Retired. How many of you are retired? Let's, all right. Let's give those guys a hand. Put in a lot of work. We appreciate it. How many of you have ever had a job that you hated? And if you're working for someone who also attends here, don't worry. We're not taking notes. We're not going to hold you accountable. You know, I, preparing for this talk, I, I did a little bit of research on, on the internet, and I went at least three deep on Google, so you know I was really serious about my research. And I found that the average American worker works 47 hours a week. So over the course of a year, that's about 2,400 hours that they're going to put in. And if you assume that somebody's going to work from 18 to 63, the age that the average American retires, that's over 100,000 hours put into work. And what that really comes down to is about one-third of our lives are spent working. That's a big deal. And then I, I looked a little bit deeper, and I found that of those currently working, the average worker, over the course of their working lifetime, will hold 12 to 15 different jobs. Those that are coming into the workforce, they estimate that that number is going to start to rise to between 15 and 20 different jobs over the course of their lifetime. So immediately I start thinking, how many jobs have I had over the course of my life? So I made a list, and I'm going to read it to you uh, and walk through it, all the jobs that I have had uh, in my lifetime. And I'm 46, so I'm still not to my retirement age, not even close, I hope, and I had, I've had quite a few. So while I'm going through my list, because it's personal to me, and work is a personal thing to all of us, think about your jobs. Uh, and if, if you're maybe my age, you, it's going to take a little bit to get kind of back there. The first time you got paid to do something and then stack on the rest of your jobs. Maybe you haven't had a job yet. Think about what you would like to do, some of those things. Or maybe listen to me and learn from my experience and some of the jobs that are maybe you want to pursue and some that you want to avoid uh, as you look at the workforce. So here's my list. My very first job when I was 16, I soldered uh, and assembled circuit boards. Actually, not a bad job. It was pretty cool. Next one was not so fun. Cleaning stables. And I think everybody actually should have to clean stables sometime in their life. Uh, it just teaches you a lot about yourself more than anything else and a lot about horses. Um, but I did get to ride horses as a result, so that was kind of fun. I was a student machinist for a metal shop. And I have a visual aid for this one. I have a plunger. And some of you are thinking, I'm never going to shake hands with that guy because he grabbed the business into that plunger, and then I don't do that. But a plunger, and I'm going to tell you why this plunger associates with that metal shop. Because um, I was a student machinist. I wasn't a senior machinist. I was in uh, undergraduate school, and I got a job at this machine shop. Well, what that meant really as a student machinist, yeah, I got to do a little bit of machining. Mostly, I got to take out garbage and run errands and go pick up food for senior people. Um, and the very first job is I walked in the door 
after they introduced me to people, they took me to the only restroom in an all-guy machine shop, pointed to the toilet and said, it's broken, fix it. So I, not only did I need a plunger, I had to pull the thing off of its foundation, you know, and replace the wax ring, put it back together, plunge the sod out of it and other things, um, and clean that thing, make it work, replace everything on the inside. That was my first job. And so for me, as I think about that job and this plunger, it really represents all the crappy jobs that I've had in my life. And it's, it is a week out from Father's Day, so I'm allowed one really bad dad joke today, and that was it. So we'll move on from there. But it really does. The bad jobs that I've had, the ones that I really don't look back with a lot of fondness, whether it was the boss or the job itself, that's the plunger for me. From there, I was a financial counselor at Davis Monthan Air Force Base. Uh, that was an internship. This next one, I kid you not, I was paid eight hours to take gallon jugs of shampoo in black bottles and pour them very carefully into gallon jugs of white bottles, or white gallon jug bottles. Eight hours, it changed my life. <laughs> I was a Costco tire technician and occasionally a cart pusher, because if you know Costco, that everybody is a cart pusher at some time, um, because it gets busy and you got to go get those carts. That was in Tucson in the summer, and that really was not a fun job. I did data entry for a car dealership. That was a temp job. Got my degree. So now I'm graduated from undergraduate school and I moved to Colorado Springs, sight unseen. My very first job with my degree, I was a cardboard box taper, earning $5.74 an hour. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit more about that later. I was also a warehouse material handler, which means you just move stuff around and a supervisor, so I got to tell people to move stuff around. <laughs> on the side, I did general automotive repair. I did web development on the side, and that didn't go very far. I spent one day for a friend selling jewelry in Dallas, Texas to a ladies' convention. <laughs> and I told them when they asked me if I would help them, I have no idea about any kind of rings and jewelry. I know nothing. He said, you know, don't worry, they'll buy it anyway. They did. And this one I almost hesitated not to put on here because you guys are going to judge me. I was a call center phone guy. And maybe, I'll, let me try to redeem myself. I went in and I got my 10 minutes of training. Here's a phone, here's how to pick it up um, and talk into this end. And they sat me down in front of the phone after about 10 minutes and I had my script and the phone starts ringing. So you just, you pick it up and you start talking. And that's the way it worked. Eight hours. I got up from that and I had a lot of time to, not a whole lot of time to think, but you're kind of in the back of your mind while you're doing all that, you're thinking. So I got up and I told the manager, I said, I'm not coming back tomorrow, I'm done. And he said, well, where should we send your paycheck? And I said, don't worry about it, just keep it. I kind of didn't want any real evidence or a paper trail that I'd ever done that. And if that is your job, you're gonna have a special place in heaven because it takes, it takes a special somebody, when you're getting cursed at and transferred to weird places or just hung up on, um, it takes a special kind of a, a, a soul, so. I did marketing and installation for a chemical detection company. I've been a youth pastor, associate pastor. I spent four big whopping days as a sheriff deputy recruit. That's another story in and of itself. I was an unskilled construction worker, home window installer. I did general roofing, and I started my own roofing company, and for that I have another illustration. What's he gonna pull out of this bag? I'm going to pull out my work boots, and I, you guys are in the smell zone, so I apologize right away. 
These are the last boots I wear. If you, if you guys do any kind of, of manual labor, um, hard work, you know that your work boots don't last very long. So this is the last pair that I wore in Tucson. I don't know if you can see them. They're, they're kind of coming apart. They do stink. Um, so I'm just going to set them right here. But to me, this represents bad jobs that I had. The boots really represent how much God had changed me to where I started looking forward to the bad jobs. Instead of just enduring them, grinning and bearing it because I had to, I actually started enjoying doing them and volunteering for those jobs. Kind of the harder the better would run towards it. So that kind of represents a whole other attitude. And we're going to kind of talk about both of those things today. And now I'm a discipleship pastor here at ACF Church. That's 22 jobs. And I don't know where you are. Maybe you've had a bunch of jobs like me. Maybe you're sitting here and you're like, I've never had a job. I'm a kid. Maybe you've had one job. You got in and you just stayed with it. My brother is, is like that. I think he's had two jobs or three jobs his entire life. Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom, and you kind of cringe when people say, oh, so you don't work. Yeah, my, my wife has, we have four girls. She stays home, and she's one of the hardest workers I know. I don't see how she does that job. Um, that is a thankless day-in and day-out job. The bottom line, though, is work is going, if it hasn't been, if it isn't, it's going to be one of the biggest things that affects your entire life, the biggest part of your life. So it's really important, and because of that, it's, it's personal to us. So as we continue on in our series called The Blind Spot, I just want to give you some warning. Um, that there's some topics that we can kind of look at, we take out of the scripture, and we, we, we pull them out here. You know, we kind of look at it at a distance where it's safe, and it feels okay, and, and there's topics that are like that. But as I was looking and working through some of the, this passage today, it really challenged me, and I think it might challenge you too, and it kind of got up in my face, um, a little more uncomfortable. And so I just want to give you fair warning that there... That's kind of maybe where we're going, and so don't, don't hate me uh, because of that, but just understand that I'm right there with you with this. So if you have your, your ACF app, you can open it up, and you can turn to Ephesians chapter 6. If you have your Bible, you can open it up. It's also under the seat, or below the seat in front of you. Yeah, under, under and below are the same thing. Uh, it's the Bible under there, or you can see it on the screen behind me. So you really have no excuse um, uh, to not follow along today uh, as I read it, but if you don't have a Bible, that one under the seat in front of you, it's now yours. Just take it home with you. We'd love to make that a gift to you so you have one. Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to continue on in our series right here at verse 5. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Would you pray with me as we begin this morning? Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much that we have an opportunity to freely come and to open up your word and to see truth. And Lord, that is what we seek and we ask for, Lord, today, that your spirit would move in this room in our hearts, in our minds, and reveal to us who you are, your truth. Lord, and it would not just be an intellectual exercise, Lord, but you would allow it to seep into who we are and to change the way that we not just think but to behave. Change the very core of who we are, which is only something that your word can do because your word is living and active. And we love you. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. Right away in this passage, though, there's three words that I, uh, kind of jumped out at me and were words that we, A, don't use very often because... Some of them are older words, and 
also because they're charged words right now in our society. And those words are bondservant, master, and obey. So I want to kind of give a quick definition of these three words so that we're all talking about the same thing and just kind of hit it head on. Bondservant, it literally means slave, just what you think it might mean. Someone who is subject to someone else or in bondage to someone else. A master, someone who exercises power or authority over someone else. And obey, listen to, attend to, or submit to. So quite literally, verse 5 could read, if you're under the authority of someone else, listen to and obey what they say. If you're under the authority of someone else, listen to and obey what they say. A couple of years ago, I mentioned I did roofing, but I also did some construction. I took a job working for my father-in-law, something that you have to do and enter into with fear and trepidation because you really can't back out of those kind of jobs because there's a family relationship there too. So once you say, yeah, I'm going to help you out, you're kind of locked in. Um, so I took a job. He was building uh, a cabin up on Mount Lemmon, just north of Tucson. Really beautiful place. It's up in the pines. It's off the desert floor. It's about 20 or 30 degrees cooler. Uh, it's just, it really is a beautiful spot. So he had bought some land. He built a list. He called it a micro cabin, but it had way more wood than my actual house down in Tucson did. It was just enormous decks, and, and it was really a beautiful thing. Well, he likes his privacy, so he didn't, like most work sites, you would just cut a road right to the work site and then dump your materials at the work site and build your thing. Well, he decided he wanted to have no roads to his cabin, so he had about 150 yards on a 45-degree hill where the road was below and the cabin was 150 yards up the hill. So everything literally had to be carried by hand up a dirt path to the hill. Well, after he got most of the wood up there, um, which was on my back uh, and some other guys that helped us, but um, that really taught me a lot about myself too. He asked, he wanted to make, instead of just a wood path that would, or a wood path, um, his Noah, it, instead of a dirt path going up the side of the mountain, he wanted to make it kind of a, a more permanent thing, a thing that looked really cool. So he had us take cut logs, flatten out a little spot along the path, and then insert the log, and then bury it back. So you had just the edge of the log, so it kind of made stairs going all the way up, um, which is a really cool idea. So on this job, I worked directly for my father-in-law. So he was my authority, and I just did whatever he said. I'd worked with him before, so I kind of had this understanding of how he did things. There was also a contractor on site, and he had employees, the guys that worked for him, skilled labor guys. Well, one of the guys got assigned um, to work with me that day to build this stairway. So we start in, and we're about two hours into it. My father-in-law comes up and does this. He just kind of stands there at a distance, looking at it, and he finally kind of makes a comment. You know, I, I'm not really liking the way it's looking and where it's going. I think you should start over. I've worked with my father-in-law enough that I immediately start pulling rebar out, pulling logs, stacking them. I don't even, like, I don't even move my head like, to, to look at them. I just knew this is going to go there. We're going to get there no matter what. The other guy didn't understand who had the authority on the job site. He starts arguing why what we have done is awesome and why it's better than what my father-in-law's idea was going to be. He had a, kind of a mixed understanding of who his authority was. He kind of thought maybe his contractor was or he was. Uh, basically, he just didn't want to redo stuff. And I had learned enough that if my father-in-law didn't like it, I didn't care. He was writing my check, giving me money for the job. I, he could ask me to stand there and stare at the tree. I didn't care. Um, now, that'd be boring, but it still pays good. Um, no one likes having authority. Yeah, and it was kind of fun watching. Like, I started backing down the hill after they got into it a little bit. And eventually we pulled the whole thing out and started over. 
Um, I knew that it was going to go there. No one likes to have that kind of authority, especially when it's up in your face. We like our independence. We don't like people kind of coming right in and getting up in our business and telling us what we have to do. Right? At the time this passage was written, Rome was like the superpower at the time. Anytime they would win a war, anytime they would go to battle, they would bring back more slaves. And so this, this engine of the economy was really slavery for them. Rome defined a slave the same way you would define a hammer. It was a possession that you used to get something done. And it was yours. The only difference was that the slaves talked. And that's how they would view it. There were families who were born into slavery. And if they had kids while they were in that household, those kids generally were also born into slavery for a lifetime. As so you had generations of slaves, you had people who would voluntarily enter into slavery. Like, why would people do that? Well, if you amassed a lot of debt that you couldn't pay, you might go find somebody who was willing to hire you on as a slave, and they would pay your debt, and then you would work your debt off. And it would be a set amount of time. It would be a contract that you would work with them. A little more intense than a work job situation. It was a little more, uh, not necessarily permanent, it could be, but it was a little bit more uh, enforceable. Sometimes people wanted a, a better job. Uh, if you wanted to go into politics, sometimes you had to, in a sense, enslave yourself to the position. And so you would commit years of your life because it were, they were really important positions. They didn't want turnover in that, and they wanted somebody to focus in on it and be good at it. Sometimes people did that just to gain education that they couldn't afford or experience that they needed to better their lives. So as free people, they weren't making enough money. Uh, they weren't really hacking it. So they said, you know what? I need an education. I need, I need to gain some experience so somebody else will let me do what I want to do or I can understand how to make this work. So they would enter into slavery relationships. A natural question that I had, and I don't know, maybe you have it too, when you read this passage is, is God okay with slavery? That's a huge question. And I'll kind of give you the short answer because I don't want to spend a lot of time because we can get kind of bogged down in the issue of slavery and miss the principles that God is really addressing here. I don't think God's okay with slavery. But I do want to make some observations. The fact that God really even addresses slaves here in this passage is, is, would, be, would have been considered crazy by the Romans. It would be like addressing your hammer and saying, hey, would you quit hitting my thumb? You need to obey better. You need to work better. It would be crazy. You wouldn't do that. And so the Romans would, would not address slaves with any kind of, of, of value or purpose. But for the fact that God does tells you a little bit about God's heart towards slaves. He holds value in them. And we see that even all the way back in Genesis 1.21 where it says that we are created in God's image. And therefore, every human being holds value to God. Whether slave, master, free, doesn't matter. Every human being holds value to God. A passage that I really like is 1 Corinthians 1, 26-28. And it really talks about God choosing the lowly things, the despised things of the world, to invest in and to raise up. So God's giving hope here, I believe, to the slaves by addressing them at all and talking about how they should interact and who their master really is. So as we look at this passage and we think about slavery back in the time of the Romans and Jesus at this time, how does that translate to us? Like, what kind of relationships do we see? And the first one that popped to my mind, uh, and I hope I don't offend anyone, military. Because you voluntarily serve for a very specific amount of time for benefit, whether it's for honor, uh, for, for uh, an internal duty, whether it's for survival, making money and paying your bills, getting education or experience so that you can then go on and do something else. 
That's a, a, and you can't leave. Once you commit, you've got to finish your, your commitment. And that's like selling yourself into slavery. What we're going to talk about today, can I enjoy my work? We're going to talk about the boss-authority relationship over somebody who works. And we're going to talk a little bit about kind of that middle management thing at the end. Marriage. Wow. Didn't know we were going to go there today. Your husband and wife, when you say your vows, you're really committing to serve the other person for a lifetime. I don't know if you realize that or not. Maybe that's a new revelation you just got today. But there's that relationship, an authority, um, submissive relationship. If you're a student, you're under teachers. And you may not realize it, but they're the authority in your life when you're sitting in that classroom. You're writing papers. You're, you're taking tests. You're listening to their direction. You have that opportunity. And this is one where you're born into it, and I hate to say it, we all are kids, and we all have that authority figure over us of our parents. And so you may be a little kid in here today, or you may be a big kid like me in here today, and we still have that authority relationship with our parents. And it brings us to our first point, and it really is, our master determines our purpose. Our master determines our purpose. In uh, verse 5 of chapter 6 of Ephesians, it says, Bond servants obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with sincere heart, as you would Christ. And then down in verse 7, it says, Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Ultimately, what we're going to find from this passage is that our master is not who we report to. It's not your commanding officer or your parent or your boss or even your spouse. It's God. It's Jesus Christ himself. That's your ultimate master. When I was working on the mountain, I didn't have that go-between. I went right to my father-in-law. The other guy had that go-between, and it kind of got, got messed up in his mind. He un- misunderstood his purpose up there. A few weeks ago, Pastor Brian, in one of his messages, he said, it's not, uh, true freedom is not the absence of a master, but having the right master. True freedom is not the absence of a master, but having the right master. Who you understand your master to be will affect your enjoyment of work more than anything else, more than your education, more than your experience, more than a good boss or a bad boss, more than any circumstance you could find yourself in. We need to understand who our master truly is. If our master is our boss, our spouse, our parent, our teacher, our purpose is going to start sounding like these things, not get fired. I don't want to get divorced, but I want to make my spouse happy. I want to make myself happy. I want to get good grades. I want to advance in my career, maybe take over my boss's job. I want to make a lot of money. If our master is God, our purpose might start sounding like these things. I want to see my coworkers or my boss come to a freeing relationship with Jesus Christ so that they can receive forgiveness of their sins. I want to learn everything I can in this class that I'm taking so that God can use me better later on. God wants me to maybe show love towards an unruly boss or a commanding officer who's an idiot. Not that there are any in here. None. There's none in here. Maybe you got little kids running around at home and you're, you're pulling your hair out. And God wants you to show love to those kids even when they're, dare I say it, unlovable. Not that your kids are unlovable, because mine are always lovable, especially last night when we were trying to get them to bed for three hours. God defines our purpose in Ephesians 2.10, and it's a verse you've probably heard before, but here it is. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
Again, ultimately, we serve Christ. We have to understand that our master is not anything we see. Our master is someone we don't see, God himself. Some of you are familiar with the story of Joseph. Joseph, back in Genesis 37 through 40, he, he lived 3,500 years ago. He had 11 other brothers. He was the youngest. He was born in the old age of his father. And so he kind of became like the spoiled kid in his father's household. And the other brothers knew it, and they hated him for it. And on top of that, he, he kind of told them, God gave him a dream of the future, and he tells his brothers a dream, and the dream is that he's going to rule over their brothers. They're going to come down and come to him at some point and bow down to him. Well, eventually his brothers kind of reach the breaking point, and they're like, we've got to get rid of this guy. This is insane. We can't handle him anymore. We have an opportunity. They were out in the field. Parents aren't around. And they decide they're going to kill him. Well, they decide, well, you know what? Then we got to live with that. Some of them, there was some argument there. Well, we'll just put him in a pit. We'll leave him. Uh, then they notice a, a trader going by. And she trades in all kinds of things, and people is one of them. So they decide, well, it's win-win. We'll get rid of Joseph, and we'll make some money. So they sell him to this trader. The trader takes him into Egypt, sells him to a, a guy, Potiphar, uh, and hires Joseph on. Joseph's a good-looking dude because the, his master's wife tries to come on to him and, and keeps trying to, to get him to sleep with her. And he says, no. Well, she then falsely accuses him of doing that to her, trying to come on to her, so his master throws him in prison. So he spends time in prison. He meets some guys. Um, he helps them out. Um, one guy eventually is he's working directly for Pharaoh and forgets Joseph. He eventually remembers Joseph. Joseph gets pulled out and serves under Pharaoh as a second-in-command of Egypt. All this because Joseph understood who his master was. His master was not his family. His master was not the slave trader or his master, uh, earthly master in Egypt or even the prison guards when he was in prison or Pharaoh himself. His master was ultimately God and because of that he could define a purpose that he couldn't even put his finger on until towards the end of his life he saw what God was doing to rescue his family and the nations around Egypt because of what was going on there. And that brings us really, not only is our master, who our master is determines our purpose, but our purpose determines our attitude. Now we're getting into kind of where the rubber hits the road. When we have a really defined purpose, we understand that God's doing bigger things than what I see, then we can have an effect on our attitude. Throughout my job, I've really justified having a bad attitude, some of these jobs, because it was a bad job. I don't know about you, but I don't run towards toilets and just think, wow, I get a chance to really use my gifts and skills today. Or I had a bad boss, maybe an abusive boss, somebody who was just unreasonable or just wasn't, like, getting it, and they, they weren't into, like, they weren't all in on the job, and because of that, it really affected your motivation in the job. And I use that as an excuse many times in my jobs because if they treated me with respect, then I would honor them and obey them fully. But because they didn't, I kind of use that as an out to kind of give a little bit of work, like just enough to get by. Maybe when they were watching, I would do enough. And Scripture actually talks about that a little bit, um, what happens when we have a bad boss. 1 Peter 2, in a parallel passage in verse 18 of 1 Peter 2, it, it really says, whether you have a good boss or a bad boss, a good job or a bad job, obey, because you're serving Christ. When you do it, you're obeying Christ. And in verse 6, of chapter 6, we don't get off the hook by just kind of doing enough to get by. 
And it says, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Having the appearance of obeying your boss while in your heart you're not there is not acceptable in in God's way of thinking. But we often get there because we, we miss who our master is and we misdefine our purpose. And so because of that, our attitude actually suffers greatly. And I kind of want to, before I go on here, I do want to make one disclaimer. There are times, because we live in a free country, that you can walk away from a bad boss or a bad job situation. So what I'm not telling you is to stay in, in a, a position you know God is calling you out of, if God is calling you out of that. But if he's calling you to stay and serve him in that situation, that's really what I'm addressing today. Remember that I had the box taping job. So I just moved up from Tucson to Colorado Springs. I was 23. I moved up the day after Thanksgiving, drove up my 64 Chevy Biscayne, and it was loaded so, low to the, or so heavy with stuff that the back bumper was scraping the ground when I went over bumps on the highway. So I get up there. I have no job. I've earned an apartment, sight unseen. I have utility bills. I'm eating, so I have you know, uh, food bills. I've got gas to put in my car, and I have no income coming in. And my little reserves that I had were you know, shrinking down. So I needed a job. I got a job taping boxes together in a distribution center at Focus on the Family. $5.74 an hour, and it was temporary. It was seasonal. So it was known that that was going to end. But from that pool, you could get hired full-time if they had a need and if you worked hard. So we're on this assembly line around this table, and I'm taping boxes. Other people are doing that and other things as well. With this group of people who are coming in, and they really just, they don't need that job. They were seasonal kids coming in because they just wanted to have extra spending money. They knew their dad worked for another part of the, the company, so they would come in and do a little bit of work. It was really just to put money in their pocket or to have fun and hang out. They, didn't, they weren't looking long-term there. I needed a job. I needed to be able to pay my bills. So I was trying to work really hard, and they would just goof off sometimes, a lot of times. And occasionally, you know, so I put my head down and work hard, but I, I just succumbed to that. You know, I'm a team player, so I just you know, start goofing off, throwing stuff or taping somebody, you know, mouth shut, whatever it is. Um, and goof off. Every time I did that, I looked up, and my supervisor's staring at me from across the, the distribution center. And then it time came where I had to sit down with him, and he, he was going to make the decision, like, am I staying, or am I going to be released at the end of the season? And he said, I'm, we're going to offer you the full-time job. And I said, why would you do that? Every time you saw me, every time I looked up and you saw me, I was goofing off. And he goes, we were watching the whole time. But when you didn't think we were watching you, you were working hard from your heart. You didn't need someone supervising you. And occasionally you blew off steam, and we, we, that's kind of what we expect. But the other people were just, anytime we walked away, or thought we walked away, they goofed off. And it was totally a different thing. And that's kind of how God wants us to serve. It wasn't a fun job, taping boxes. Um, but that was what God had called me to. So Joseph probably had every excuse in the book to have a bad attitude as he went through and to kind of just be unhappy with his situation because he was a free guy, honored in his family, went to be, from that to being a slave and then kind of in prison and then continually serving other people away from his home country. But eventually he saw and looked back and saw that God actually rescued his entire family because of him, because of his faithfulness. And because he was faithful in each of those situations, God raised him up and honored him in those things. He understood his purpose, he understood his master, and his attitude followed. And the last, this, kind of the last main point, and then I have another one that I want to talk about. 
This is where it gets up in my face. I don't know, so I hope it doesn't get up in your face. Our attitude is a choice. Our attitude is a choice. Philippians 4, 8 and 9 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. We can control the things we think about. How we frame a situation that we're in is going to be determined really by who we see our master as, what we see, do we see that he has a purpose. Whether we understand that purpose fully or not is going to help us to define the circumstances we see ourselves in. If we're focused on the, the circumstances that we see, our attitude's going to be horrible. If we're focused on the God that we serve, our attitude's going to follow suit. And we can endure those things, not just grinning and bearing it, but understanding that he's doing something here. And we have a purpose. And because of that, we can have a better attitude. When I was traveling as uh, marketing and installation for that tech company, um, I was waiting in the Charlotte airport, waiting to fly to Heathrow, London. And it got delayed six hours. And we didn't know it was going to be six hours. You know, they just tell you delayed, and you kind of just wait, and you wait, and you wait. Well, sometime in the middle of that, and I, you know, I really didn't care. I knew eventually I'd get there. I was kind of watching, you know, certain meetings go away, but I was like, well, we'll figure it out. I'm a pretty relaxed guy when it comes to that. This one guy was not. Um, and I don't know if you've ever seen that guy. Like, he starts off, and he's kind of like under his breath, saying stuff that nobody can comprehend, but you know he's not happy. Um, so he's, you know, saying that. And then finally he gets vocal, and he's trying to get people on his side like, right around him. Like, hey, this stinks. You know, I can't believe it. They should do something about this. I can't believe this airline, man. They run by monkeys or whatever. And then he gets to the point where he's like, Literally, as employees are going by in the air, uh, the, uh, the airline, he's yelling at them. Come on, fix this plane. Don't you know I have things to do? And you guys are idiots. You guys don't know how to run nothing. And he's getting louder and louder. And finally, it's culminated. And this is, you know, maybe three or four hours into it. Um, he literally is standing on a table. He rips his shirt off, and he's cussing out all the ladies behind the counter, like telling them why he should be on this plane right now, and they should get this thing moving. So we all made our flight a few hours later. Um, he got to get really friendly with some police officers. I don't think he made that flight. Bad attitude got him a result immediately. He saw the situation around him and reacted to that and didn't understand the bigger picture of what was going on. A few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, our four-wheel drive club here at um, ACF, we went out to Hatcher's Pass. I'd never been there. Uh, I'm new. I've only been up here eight months. And so I went out there with a group of people. On their, they had four-wheelers. I have a Jeep. Um, we had another Jeep, and we had an Argo, and a side-by-side, and a whole bunch of four-wheelers. And it was a lot of fun, but it was super rainy and muddy that day. And my Jeep is, it's open differential, so we were winching my Jeep up, and the other Jeep as well. I'm not, well I won't say whose it is. I don't want to embarrass him. But I'll just throw mine out there. It's inadequate to off-road up here in, in Alaska. I'm learning it's way different than Tucson. Um, but it was a lot, of, a lot of fun at the end, but it was a lot of stress. But we are winching my Jeep up all these muddy hills. It took... We, if you're familiar with Gilligan's Island, some of you older folks, people my age, uh, may understand Gilligan's Island, the three-hour tour. We wanted this to be like maybe a three- to five-hour off-road trip, and it turned out to be 15 hours. We left here at 9 a.m. at ACF, and I got back here at midnight. Um, and then I had a blowout on the trailer tire on the way back uh, up to South Birchwood, which was also fun at 12.30. I'm literally getting out of the car going, really, God, really? Why would you do this to me? So this situ there's a point where you realize this is going to take forever. Like you're off-roading and you realize, and then one of the vehicles broke down. We had to tow it out with two different vehicles. 
and that took extra time and effort. And I, I'm one of those that I just start worrying, you know, okay, what have I broken on my Jeep? This is going to take so long. What am I missing? I'm frustrated. I'm getting kind of agitated. My attitude is kind of like the guy in the airport. Um, but there were some people with us, and I'm going to embarrass them. They're not here today, but they were here Wednesday. Um, John and Val Bush, and even Rachel Torkelson. Um, if you guys don't know those people, you should. Because their attitude turned what I would have thought would have been a disastrous day, because I was even getting frustrated. But they just, if something would break or something would, you know, oh, it's going to take two hours to get up this hill. They would just start laughing in a good way. Like, they were just having fun. Like, this is an adventure. This is something that we can really have fun with. And so they came together as a team. And because of their attitude, a trip that really, for me, would have, in the past, would have been like a disaster. Uh, and kind of looking back with, you know, yeah, was awesome. Their attitude absolutely made the difference. Our attitude, the, ch- the choice that we make in life makes all the difference. There's a, a, a preacher who's been around a while, maybe you've heard of him, Chuck Swindoll, and he has a quote, and I love this quote, and it's, it's an older one, but it still is, uh, I think, speaks directly to what we're talking about today, about attitude. The longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude to me is more important than facts, more important than the past, more important than education, the money and circumstances than failure, than successes, than what other people think or say or do. It is more important than appearance, giftedness, or skill. It will make or break a company, a church, a home. The remarkable thing is we have the choice every day regarding the attitude we will embrace for that day. We cannot change our past. We cannot change the fact that people will act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play on the one string we have, and that is our attitude. And I'm convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. And so it is with you. We are in charge of our attitudes. When we understand who our master is and that we have a purpose and that we can choose that attitude, we're going to choose attitudes that don't make sense to the world around us. They're countercultural. How could you be happy in this situation? This makes no sense. It's because we're not reacting to what we see. We're stepping back and seeing really what God might be doing here and what our, our role is in that, that thing that God is doing. And that really leads me to a very comforting thought for me. We are all middle management. That's right. That's my point today. We are all middle management. There you go. Um, and he addresses it Ephesians 6, 9. The very last verse of our passage today. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their masters and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. We all have people telling us what to do. Even if you're the the big kahuna in life, you've got people that are are pushing and shoving and, and inputting what you do in life. And you've got people that you influence and serve. We are all really asked to serve God and to serve other people. We're all middle management. And God here, by addressing slaves and then the masters, is, he's, he's leveling the playing field for everybody. He's saying, you all serve me, and you all serve each other. Act that way. Move that way through life. Have that attitude in your heart. When I was taping boxes, I, didn't, I got hired on full time, and eventually I got hired on to a lead position at Focus on the Family in part of the distribution center and which is I, very much middle management. It was a doer position, but then I got hired and to be a supervisor of the warehouse, which was a, 
Same building, but a different part of this huge building. And it was more of a, a people supervisory position. So you get vision from above and you would do action below at that point. When I got hired on though to move, no one in the warehouse knew who I was because there was such a big building that nobody had a clue who I was. They were doing inventory at the time, which means they were just counting everything they had, making sure what was going on so they could level their books for the end of the year. They had two weeks of that. So when I got hired on, I did an undercover boss thing where I went in and I just pretended to be a guy from another department helping them count during inventory. Nobody knew that I was gonna be their boss or that I actually at that point was. I got paired with a guy one day for the whole day and he took me around and told me all the places and the ways that he could slack off at work, including a place in the, in the warehouse rack. We had huge narrow aisle racks where he had built like a little pallet fort that you couldn't see from the outside, but he could sleep and take naps. And I didn't say anything. I just kind of let him talk and show me all the, the ways that he, when people weren't watching, could get away with it. And he go, I asked him, like, what do, you, what do you do when they're looking for you? He goes, oh, they'll just think you're working somewhere else. It's a big building. He had it all figured out. The look on his face when they announced me two weeks later as his boss was awesome. Uh, <laughs> he wasn't serving God. His master was not God. His master was really, I don't know if it was his pocketbook, himself, but because his master was not God, was something other than that. His purpose was skewed. His purpose really was to do as little as he could to get away with it and get paid at the end of the day. And because of that, his attitude was not that great. And the attitude of people that interacted with him also paid and suffered. It didn't last so long. I don't know where you are. Most jobs I've had have been middle management. Like literally down here on earth, you know, bigger scheme, we, we serve God, we serve other people. But in reality, most of the little jobs I've had here have all been middle management. Somebody's telling me what to do and I get to, to interact with other people. I don't know where you are. Maybe you're the big kahuna in your job. You're, the buck stops with you. You own your own company. Nobody tells you what to do. You love that and that's cool. Maybe you're like me and you've, you've kind of just, you know, swimming in this sea of, of uh, middle management. Maybe you're a student and you've got that teacher who you're writing, writing papers for and you're like, I don't feel like middle management because I'm not teaching anybody anything right now, but somebody's inputting in me. Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom and you got little bosses running around telling you what to do all day. Maybe you got a spouse kind of in that same situation. I don't know. But ultimately, we all serve God. He gives us a purpose. We can choose our attitude. How do we do that? And this is like simple and hard. We do that by staying connected to God and God's purpose. And we do that by praying, talking with God, really laying our heart bare before God, staying in his word, and being around people who do those things. It sounds so simple, and you hear it from church a lot, but the reality is that's, that's the secret. We gotta stay connected to God. We gotta stay connected to our master to know what's going on, to understand that purpose so that we can choose that attitude. The more connected you are to God, the less the world's gonna affect you. The less connected you are to God, the more the world's gonna affect you. We need to stay connected to God or we're gonna start looking like the world around us. One of the leaders of, of the Israelite people was Joshua. And there was a time when the Israelites were looking around at all the nations and they were kind of starting to look a lot like the nations. They were, they were kind of checking out how they worshiped their gods and the, the cultural things that they did and the societal things they did. And they kind of were in this confusion and Joshua challenges them, and he says, choose today who you're going to serve. 
Are you going to serve them? Are you going to serve yourself? Are you going to serve God? He goes, I'm going to serve God. Who are you going to choose? And so I kind of leave you with that. Choose today who you're going to serve as your master. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for your word and that you don't shy away from different topics. And at the time, this would have been an explosive topic for slaves and owners to hear. And Lord, today we see those same relationships and the principles that we can pull out of that, Lord. Too often, I think we get focused on the circumstance we find ourselves in, whether it's a, a job we just don't like doing, we just know we don't, we have a passion for maybe something else and we're stuck here and maybe we have a boss, someone we report to, it's just, we just don't get along with or we see things differently or we feel like maybe we know more than them and how do they get to their position and, and that frustrates us. Maybe we're, we're just starting out and, and as we think through this, this is a huge topic that we just maybe don't even fully understand. But Lord, I pray that one thing that you would make very clear, we serve you. We are a people who wants to please you and to do what you are doing here on earth. We want to align ourselves with the things that you're doing. So Lord, I pray that here at ACF and in our community, you would move in our hearts to examine our attitudes before you. And if our attitudes are wrong, help us to back up the chain and see if we have a, an understanding that you you are working and what you're doing in this situations. And are we serving you or are we serving something else? Well, these are hard questions and I pray that we'd be willing to face them. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us joy in our work because we work for you. That, Lord, you would give us glimpses of the, the fruit of that labor so that we believe that our efforts are not in vain. Lord, I pray your blessing on these, these folks here. And I pray that you would give them joy in their work. And it's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, can we thank Pastor Stewart for bringing the word to us today?